Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Anytime you want, babe. From the New Orleans, Louisiana, ladies and gentlemen, where we figured out a way to go from shivering to sweltering in five days. Proud of it, too. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, uh, thanks to the San Diego desk and uh, to to uh, a person I'm matrimonially connected with, I discovered that last week on this broadcast uh, was the first, probably in my uh, ken, the first time I've done an, an accidental meta joke of some sort. Uh, specifically, in uh, talking about Brian Williams having uh, confessed to confl- having conflated two different helicopters, the one he was riding in and the one that was shot down, in uh, the early days of the war, I uh, I mentioned his daughter, Allison, and I conflated two shows she was in, Peter Pan, which he starred, and Girls on HBO, in which she was, uh, and there was, I conflated the, the, the foofaroo that surrounded both shows, the foofaroo uh, surrounding Peter Pan was that uh, Christopher Walken had uh, episodes where he apparently wasn't in total control of uh, his lines, his dialogue, and uh, regarding girls that Allison Williams, the self-same Allison Williams, had been in a scene involving simulated analingus. Anyway, I conflated the two just the way Brian Williams conflated the two helicopters, an accidental meta joke. First, and maybe the last, let's hope, or not. Now, now we get to the part of the... uh, the proceedings that's beyond hope. It was uh, three years ago that Attorney General Eric Holder gave a speech, uh, an address, not not just an address, a, a phone number at Northwestern, in which he said uh, the to me memorable words, talking about the detention program. Uh, no, not actually not the detention program. The kill list. The president had just been revealed to have a kill list which he uh, devised every Tuesday morning after his uh, head of uh, CIA and his national security advisor presented him with baseball cards picturing terrorist suspects abroad. And, you know, who should we kill today, sir? And uh, Eric Holder, the attorney general of the United States, defended that process by saying, the Consti- quote, the Constitution guarantees due process. It doesn't guarantee judicial process, unquote. I thought... He could never top that until this week. Eric Holder was speaking at a luncheon at the National Press Club, a podium I've been at for the same occasion, not on the same date, of course, and uh, was defending the administration's policy of uh, prosecuting certain journalists, a a record-setting number of journalists having been prosecuted by this administration. And he was in in the... in the middle of saying, well, you know, you, referring to the press, should uh, ask yourselves, just because you can publish something, should you? Ignoring the fact, of course, that's what happens every day. Anyway, he was, uh, as I say, in the process of saying this when he gave a uh, what he admitted was an extreme example. Um, well, you know, use an extreme example, perhaps unfair. Um, in World War II, if a reporter had found, about, found out about the existence of the Manhattan Project, 
Is that something that should have been um, disclosed? Now, we're not in a time of war, I understand, and I said as an, ex an extreme example. Wait, 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 wait. Did you catch what he said there? Just in passing, just in very quick passing? Maybe we should uh, slow it down a little bit. No, we're not in a time of war. Yeah, we're not in a time of war, ladies and gentlemen. This, this made no news, even though, uh, as I understand it, the Patriot Act is premised on our being in a state of war. Our detention program in Gitmo is premised on our being in a state of war. I think there are a lot of Gitmo attorneys who would be interested in, you know, the Attorney General of the United States is uh, sort of, by job description, obligated to understand the legal consequences of the words that come out of his mouth. And he is now declared... You heard him on tape. He's on C-SPAN. We are not in a time of war. Congratulations. We made it. Hello. Welcome to the show. Some troops might be interested in that, too. Now, 
Hey, bud. Come here. Let me talk to you for a second. Louisiana, about 2,000 miles away from Hollywood. Something's happening there tonight? Oh. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of Le Show. And now... Once I had a secret that lived within the heart of me. All too soon my secret became impatient to be free. Secrets, no secrets anymore. Yeah, there's no news out of this uh, Edward Snowden thing. Except American and British spies hacked into the world's largest SIM card manufacturer, giving them unfettered access to billions of cell phones around the globe, perhaps sparking another international row into overreach by espionage agencies. The NSA and its British equivalent, the GCHQ, hacked into Gemalto. You're welcome. A Netherlands SIM card manufacturer stealing encryption keys that allowed them to secretly monitor both voice calls and data on cellular phones, according to documents newly released to the Intercept website. Well, it was released long ago, recently published this week, as a matter of fact, uh, by the Intercept, re- uh, released by Edward Snowden. The breach gave the agencies the power to secretly monitor a large portion of the world's cellular communications, which experts... I know. Abby Hoffman once said, an expert is a fast-talking guy from out of town, which experts said violated international laws. Um, Mark Rumold, a staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, apparently an expert, said there was no doubt the spy agencies had violated Dutch law and were all probability violating laws in many other territories when they used the hacked keys. The scale of the hack and its international reach... Um, pretty remarkable. It's a big breach, says Matthew Green, a cryptologist at the Johns Hopkins Information Security Institute, talking to the Guardian newspaper. The problem is the attacks could still be ongoing. Shh! Don't say that. They'll hear you. Jamalto, the company targeted by the spy agencies, produces 2 billion SIM cards a year for AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, and Verizon. It's a Dutch company. That's why the uh, expert brought up Dutch law. It operates in 85 countries and provides cards to some 450 wireless network providers globally. Tom? You mean globally? Yeah. The stolen encryption keys would allow intelligence agencies to monitor mobile communication without the knowledge or approval of either telecom companies or 
foreign governments. It's like allowing spies to put an an aerial up on the embassy in Berlin and listen in to anyone's calls in that area, said the principal technologist at the ACLU. Calls made on 3G and 4G mobile networks are encrypted, but with these keys, which a GCHQ, that's the British version of NSA, slide described as living in the phone, mm, comfy in there, spies could access any communication made on a device unless its owner uses an extra layer of encryption. Users can separately encrypt their voice and text communications using messaging, messaging, messaging services such as Apple's iMessage, Facebook's WhatsApp, or secure chat services such as ChatSecure, or users of Silent Circle's Black Phone or similar secure services which encrypt voice communication by default. That'll also they also enjoy protection from these hacks. Anybody else? Give it up, babe. They are, they are so listening to you. They are so listening to you. News of secrets. Secrets no more, ladies and gentlemen. And secrets once again. Hey, what's happening with our freedom-loving friends around the world? Well, remember we, we uh, came to the aid of Kuwait when it was uh, the subject of an incursion by uh, Saddam Hussein back uh, 25 years ago. Started the whole... Iraq thing, moving down that uh, trail that uh, leads right to where we are today. Lovely. Anyway, Kuwait's appeals court this week increased a four-year jail sentence by two years. Now it's a six-year jail sentence. Uh, For what? Uh, For making comments deemed offensive to Saudi Arabia. An activist tweeted comments. Uh, Salah al-Sayed. He was sentenced to four years in jail in December by a lower court for tweeting and, and tweets in which he accused Saudi Arabia of grabbing land in Kuwait and Bahrain. Ooh, you don't want to be saying that, do you? Really? The lower court charged, court charged that because of the tweets he had posted online in October, he had endangered Saudi-Kuwaiti relations and undermined the kingdom. I guess the kingdom of... Is Kuwait a kingdom? Kingdom of Saudi Arabia? Some kingdom, somewhere. Other sources elaborated on Saeed's charges, pointing to his interview in August with Syrian... TV channel in which he lashed out against Saudi Arabia and its policies in Syria while defending the actions of the Syrian president. Well, you don't want to be doing that in Kuwait. What do you think it is, a free country? The Kuwait Times reports that the public prosecution charged Saeed of carrying out acts of aggression against Saudi Arabia and a number of Saudi princes as he defended the Syrian government against the rebels believed to be backed by Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia. According to the Western Sorry, according to the Watan news website, Saeed blamed Saudi Arabia as being responsible for the massacres of Syrians. Well, he deserves eight years, don't you think? The appeals court raised the jail sentence, but did not give a reason for its decision. Because it's a free country. Saeed, who's in his 50s, has in the past few years repeatedly criticized Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and some other Gulf states for their hostile position toward the Syrian government. The sentence isn't final. It can be challenged in the Supreme Court of Kuwait. Yeah. I bet that'll be fun. Human Rights Watch says in its latest world report that the Kuwaiti government aggressively targeted free speech throughout 2014, cracking down on activists for making comments seen as critical of the oil-rich state's ruler and of other Arab leaders, especially in the Gulf. Our friend, our freedom-loving friend, Kuwait. And now, ladies and gentlemen...
News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, there's a theme. I no, I don't mean the music. There is a theme to today's news of the Olympics. Preparations are behind schedule for the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Growing local concern over the financial burden of hosting the Olympics spurred discussions late last year about jointly hosting the Games with Japan. There have been growing calls among local governments for shared hosting of the event. Public support has waned for large-scale sporting events aimed at enhancing national prestige and promoting the development of provincial regions. The preparations continue to stray off course. This report from the Yomiyori Shimbun, a Japanese newspaper. Gunilla Lindbergh, chair of the Coordinating Commission for the Pyongyang Olympics, said the organizing committee has been making good preparations. She felt strong confidence in the committee. She added shared hosting of the event may not be an option. However, the current situation can in no way be described as going well, she added. The budget for the Olympics has reached $11.7 billion, ballooning 30% over estimates made four years ago. Local governments bear 25% of the cost and 30% of the cost of developing infrastructure. Development in Gangwon province, located in the mountain, mountainous northeast, you'd want the Winter Olympics in the mountains, wouldn't you? Lags behind the rest of the nation. The region is unable to bear the full financial burden of hosting the Games, which is fueling the discussion and sharing. Construction of the facilities is behind schedule. Work on the venue for the opening and closing ceremonies has not yet even begun. These Olympics 2018. According to a member of the organizing committee, the start of construction of six new venues was roughly six months behind schedule. The rate of progress was a mere 6% to 14% of completion as of last month. The IOC is believed to have unofficially looked into shared hosting late last year due to concerns over the situation. Expectations based on projections the area will emerge as an international winter resort have also been shaken. The Provincial Public Development Corporation that operates the ski resort facility that will serve as the main venue decided to sell the facility. Gangwon Province invested $1.4 billion in the resort, which features a luxury hotel and casino, ski slopes and golf course. However, it lacks convenient access to transportation. Real estate costs were high and the number of visitors has continued to fall far below expectations. With debts mounting, the government demanded it be sold. The high-speed rail project, which was touted during campaigning for the Olympics as being able to make the trip from International Airport in 68 minutes has been changed to taking 90 minutes to two hours, according to statements by officials. The project was scaled back over concerns about the ability to attract passengers after the Olympics. It's possible the many facilities into which huge amounts of funds have been invested may become a negative legacy. Haven't heard that one before. But wait, there's more. The Boston Marathon is the world's most famed foot race. The head of the Charles Regatta, which marks the 50th anniversary this year, is the planet's biggest annual two-day rowing event. Neither of the famous courses could be used as an Olympic venue should Boston host the 2024 Summer Games. The overall decrease in elevation of the marathon layout exceeds international standards. And the Charles has too much current, too much wind, and bridges across its straightaways. 
It's kind of unfortunate, said the U.S. Olympic Committee's advisor to the Boston 2024 bid committee. But wait, there's more. The Associated Press came up this week with a roundup of what's happening in the Rio Olympics. A nine-mile subway extension may not be fully operational in time for the Games. Yes, you heard the same thing about Korea moments ago on this broadcast. Seems to be a thing. It's been arduous drilling through a mountain. No. And officials may need a plan B to get fans from Central Rio to the main venue 15 miles away without the subway Vehicles could be wedged into an Olympian traffic jam snaking from Copacabana and Ipanema beaches to the western suburb of Barra de Tijuca, the heart of the Games. Didn't know the Games had a heart, did you? Eh, the liver of the Games. Rio State Environment Secretary Andre Correa has acknowledged severe pollution in the lagoon that surrounds the Olympic Park and skirts the new golf course. Didn't know golf courses were... I'm not even going to say that. He took a boat ride a few weeks ago through noxious waters, viewing islands of sewage and sludge that appear at low tide. Well, don't let the tide get low. Flush it. Just down, deluge it with water. The $250 million dredging project has been tied up in a dispute. The fetid waters stem from the wealthy and poor alike, using the lagoon as a cesspool. Well, that's one thing the wealthy and the poor can agree on. That's one thing the rich and poor have equal access to. <laughs> using... The lagoon that skirts the golf course as a cesspool. Stray, uh, there's reports of rising violence in Rio. The sailing venue in Guanabara Bay, as you know, is also filthy with untreated waste and floating debris. And a public prosecutor is looking into a possible lawsuit against the mayor of Rio, alleging improper conduct centering on concessions the city made to a billionaire developer of the new Olympic golf course. The course, which cost about $20 million to build, has been embroiled in lawsuits over ownership and charges that environmental rules were trampled. They were at least ignored. The layout will be surrounded by luxury apartments, selling in the 3 to $8 million range, much like... Isn't this... Is this really what they... It's just an excuse to build luxury apartments? Is that what it... No. It's a movement. We all need one. Every day... And now, news of our friend the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Save, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, save, too safe to meet. Save, save, too safe to meet. Addy the Atom? Yeah? You're not wearing your bead this week? Mardi Gras over. Yes. And I swallowed it. You oh, that's too bad. It'll come out in the wash. Nearly four years after Japan's massive earthquake and tsunami, the country has made significant progress towards stabilizing and decommissioning the ravaged Fuk nuclear plant, according to international nuclear inspectors this week. However, the nearly 160... What? I'm celebrating. Oh. The nearly 160 million gallons of contaminated water stored on site pose massive log- logistical challenges. Eg- examiners urged Japan to consider controlled discharges of the contaminated, irradiated liquid into the Pacific Ocean once it's treated. It's not sick. The, the situation at the crippled plant remains, quote, very complex, and, quote, the benefits of discharges could be very, very huge, unquote, 
Juan Carlos Lentijo, who led the team of 15 inspectors from the International Atomic Energy Agency on the nine-day inspection tour. Japanese officials have been reluctant to take such a step at the plant, fearing it might further antagonize local fishermen and other residents affected by the initial accident and its aftermath. You don't want angry fishermen. They come at you with hooks. Wow. In the past year, Japan has succeeded in removing spent and fresh fuel from one reactor and reduced the inflow of groundwater into the facility. It's also taken steps to clarify which entities are responsible for particular jobs. That's progress. Yeah. Wow. Who knew you could do that? But about 80,000 gallons of groundwater continue to enter the plant per day. Building and maintaining storage tanks is increasingly taxing for the 7,000 workers toiling at the site. Lentijo's team noted. In January, a laborer in his 50s who was inspecting an empty 33-foot-tall storage, storage tank fell into the vessel and died. Wouldn't have happened. It was full. That is... You shouldn't. In the wake of that accident, Japan's nuclear regulator called on the plant operator TEPCO to move toward discharges of treated water. About half of the water stored on site has been treated to remove most radioactive contaminants, though current technology does not allow for the easy removal removal of tritium. Unlike other contaminants, which are suspended or dissolved in water, tritium actually modifies the water molecules and therefore is difficult to separate out. You're having a problem. I know. Um, my, my molecules can't be separated either. Still, tritium is considered one of the least hazardous radioactive materials produced by nuclear power plants. Latijo said controlled discharges are a normal practice in the industry. You say that like it's news. I do. Most of the nuclear power plants are discharging treated water, he said at a news conference. This is accomplished with negligible impact on the environment and the safety of the people. Congratulations, people. Enjoy your tritium. But, what? Sensors at the Fook plant have detected a fresh leak of highly radioactive water to the sea. This is as of today. The plant's operator announced it today. Highlighting difficulties in decontaminating the plant, TEPCO said the sensors... Not like the ones at newspapers. No. They were rigged into a gutter that pours rain and groundwater at the Fook plant into a nearby bay. They detected contamination levels up to 70 times greater than the already high radioactive status seen at the plant campus, or the plant campus. This is the water they're going to discharge because it was huge, huge benefit. Yeah. TEPCO says its emergency inspection of tanks storing the nuclear wastewater did not find any additional abnormalities. Just the normal abnormalities. Mm-hmm. But the firm said it shut the gutter or got the shutter, to prevent radioactive water from going into the Pacific Ocean. Except for the tritium. Except the Belgian Federal Agency for Nuclear Control has called for thorough inspections of nuclear plants around the world following detection of multiple cracks in critical components of two reactors in Belgium. I know, but it's Belgium. What? Belgium's Federal Agency for Nuclear Control, Director General Jan Benz, urged careful inspection of the 400... 30 nuclear facilities globally. Steel nuclear reactor pressure vessels in two plants were found to be affected in 2012. It was dismissed as manufacturing defects by the operator of their reactors, Electrobell. But further tests in 2014 at the facilities indicated advanced embrittlement of the sample steel vessels. Embrittlement? Yeah. That's a bad thing. I should think so. You want in uh, unbridlement. 
You do. Operators at both of the facilities, or operations at both of the facilities, stopped March of last year. Unexpected cracking in the vessels can be caused due to corrosion from normal operation. It's normal in a plant to have corrosion that causes cracks, is what you're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what they're saying. The presence of highly radioactive nuclear fuel cores in the vessels raises the risk of accidents during malfunction. It's assumed this could be an issue with all nuclear power plants worldwide. Nuclear power plants increasingly face a new enemy, according to the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Who's the enemy? The jellyfish. These aquatic animals and algae get caught in and block the cooling water intake pipes of nuclear power plants, preventing reactors from getting the huge amount of water they need every day to cool their cores and associated equipment. Usually screened preventive aquatic life and similar debris from being drawn into the cooling system. But when sufficiently large volumes of jellyfish are pulled in, they block the screens, reducing the amount of water coming in and forcing the reactor to shut down. Jellyfish and algae have assaulted nuclear power plants in the U.S., Canada, Scotland, Sweden, Japan, and France, but not Belgium. No. In Scotland alone, two reactors had to shut down in a single week when the seawater they used as a coolant was inundated with jellyfish. It's not a new problem, but the number of jellyfish uh, is increasing, apparently, with climate change. Sometimes jellyfish concentrations can be quite dramatic. As many as 50 to 100 of the animals per cubic meter of water. New photos show jellyfish taken from power plant intakes filling containers the size of a bed of a pickup truck. Occasionally, schools of jellyfish are so large and thick they can be seen from the air. Scientists are unsure for uh, the reasons for these blooms. It's known that some species thrive in overfished and degraded waters. Jellyfish have been known to increase when waters warm, but the recent blooms cannot be easily linked to climate change alone. Don't get a companion. Researchers suspect there may be a climate-related mechanism at work in the form of warmer ocean temperatures combined with environmental changes such as fertilizer runoff, ocean overfishing, and ocean acidification. People helping the jellyfish to thrive. Yeah, in a way. Isn't that sweet? Strontium-90 has been found at only one other nuclear power plant that's been shut down. Its cleanup added millions of dollars to the ultimate cleanup costs. Officials of the NRC says there's no immediate need for the strontium-90 that turned up in four monitoring wells at Vermont Yankee to be cleaned up soon. It's just strontium-90. Yeah, it's not tritium. Last week, the Vermont Department of Health announced tests last year showed the dangerous radioactive isotope in four wells on the banks of the Connecticut River, but it was at relatively safe levels, well within standards for drinking water set by the EPA. It's refreshing, that strontium-90 at those levels. It is, really. It's, it's bracing. The uh, source of the strontium-90 is not still known. It's possible, said the NRC, that the levels could go up or the levels could go down. Like everything else. Yeah, like everything else. Dayline Vienna, Iran has refrained from expanding tests of more efficient models of a uh, machine used to refine uranium. A centrifuge. Under a nuclear agreement with the six world powers. That's according to a new UN report. Hence, allaying concerns that Iran might be violating the accord. Of course, this made headline news here in this country, you recall? No. Okay. The Belgian Federal Agency for Nuclear Control. Oh, we had that. You're repeating yourself? I'm repeating myself. Clean, cheap, safe, too repetitive to meter. Our friend, the atom.
tell you why He's on the cover of the New York Post Every network coast to coast All he needed was a hot night in June Cause he had a needle and he had a spoon When he spiked a bit and man he flew Into America's living room We all love tragedy loves us too It's a marriage made in Hollywood Between green and you All you need to be a star Is to die in open view It's a marriage made in Hollywood Between green and you Between green and you Between green and you Ride you out of here into a different scene Unrequited love and that makes it fair But who keeps score when you're in midair? We all love tragedy, it loves us too It's a marriage made in Hollywood Between greed and you All you need to be a star is to die in open view It's a marriage made in Hollywood Between greed and you Between greed and Between greed and you
creed in Hollywood? How dare you use those words in the same sentence? From New Orleans, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Now, news of the godly, a prominent Orthodox rabbi accused of videotaping women at a sacred ritual bath. Who do you think he is? Chuck Berry? Has pleaded guilty to more than 50 counts of voyeurism. In court this week, Barry Frundel also did not dispute prosecutors' claims that he taped an additional 100 women. He could not be charged in those cases because of the statute of limitations. The case has stunned Washington, D.C.'s Orthodox community because the women were taped while taking ritual baths associated with rites of family purity and conversion at the National Capital Mikvah, a ritual bathhouse affiliated with Frundel's former synagogue. He entered the plea in uh, court Thursday afternoon, faces up to one year in prison for each count. Why, that's 50 years. He was the rabbi at Georgetown's Kesher Israel Synagogue for a quarter century before he was arrested last fall, accused of hiding a video camera inside a clock radio and aiming it at a shower in the mikveh. He was initially charged with six counts of voyeurism. Prosecutors told a closed-door meeting of victims last week that according to evidence dating back to 2009, he'd actually taped more than 150 women. Not all the victims have been identified, and the three-year statute of limitation has uh, prevented prosecution on a number of them. I feel violated, said one victim, Emma Shulovitz. This is supposed to be between a woman and God, not between a woman and a rabbi. He was arrested in October, the morning after police raided his home and seized computer equipment, including several media storage uh, devices. He had told the women not to put anything blocking their view of the clock radio. Because you really need to see a clock radio when you're showering. Don't you know? I think you do. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. That is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, the Apologies of the Week. Dayline London, the HSBC Bank apologized to customers and investors for past practices at its Swiss private bank after allegations that it helped hundreds of wealthy clients dodge taxes. Europe's largest bank said in full-page advertisements in British newspapers that recent media coverage focusing on the Swiss operation and affairs of some of its clients had been a painful experience and that standards in place today were not universally in place in the past. That's delicate. We therefore offer our sincerest apologies, the advertisement said. It's addressed to customers, shareholders, and colleagues, and signed by Chief Executive Stuart Gulliver. Deadline Houston, quote, a photograph appearing with the story on page A1 about Reinhard Bunke on Monday was digitally manipulated by the evangelist's organization to superimpose the preacher's image on a crowd of about 1.6 million gathered for a 2000 crusade in Lagos, Nigeria. Director for Bonkey's Christ for All Nations mission said the photo was a combined shot of the crowd during daylight hours and Bonkey preaching after nightfall. The photo provided to the Houston Chronicle by Bonkey's Crusade was not represented to the newspaper as a di- digitally altered image. The Houston Chronicle apologizes for this error. Yeah, because daylight and nighttime footage are so easy to match. Dayline Mississippi State Representative Gene Alday publicly apologized this week for controversial comments he made in a newspaper article sparking outrage among fellow legislators. He acknowledged he'd made a mistake without repeating his original comments. I didn't do it with intent, but I'm deeply sorry for my recent statements. I was wrong to say what I did. There is no excuse for my behavior, he said. What did he say? 
He said, uh, he comes from a town where all the blacks are getting food stamps and what I call welfare crazy checks. They don't work. He also said when he went to the emergency room one time, I like to die. I laid in there for hours because blacks were in there being treated for gunshots. Dayline Stockholm, Sweden's public radio network, has apologized for asking Israel's ambassador whether Jews have any responsibility for increasing anti-Semitism. A Swedish radio reporter asked Ambassador Isaac Bachmann about the causes of anti-Semitism and whether Jews themselves had any responsibility. Bachmann rejected the question, saying it was like asking a rape victim whether she was to blame for what happened to her. Swedish radio later apologized for the question, saying it is misleading and blames both individuals and a vulnerable group. The Jewish community has experienced horrific horror, terror and has all of our sympathy and condolences. The reporter personally apologized to the ambassador on Wednesday. Tucker Carlson, the editor-in-chief of the conservative news site The Daily Caller, said a hungover editor was to blame for a headline on the site's section that included the phrase, Kill All the Jews. The Post originally headlined, Kill All the Jews, and When That Is Done, Kill Those That Refuse to Defend Them, was published on Mardi Gras Day. The article was written by a retired Army veteran and former assistant in the Ford, Carter, Reagan, and Bush administrations, arguing that Muslim terrorists targeting Jews will soon turn to other groups such as Christians. Carlson said the published headline was spotted by the executive editor on either Tuesday or Wednesday. The headline didn't match the story. It was obviously nothing more than a garbled attempt. It was inarticulate. It was idiotic. When asked how the original headline ended up on the site, Carlson said one of the site's editors, whom he declined to name, was likely hungover. I don't know. We got over 50 people here. He was hungover or something. He said the Daily Caller got no complaints about the headline. That, that tells you something. Krispy Kreme has apologized after a store in the United Kingdom advertised a promotion for customers called KKK Wednesday, which was to be held this week. It was to have stood for Krispy Kreme Club. The store that created event, the event, which was meant to allow customers to come into the store to decorate donuts, is located in Hull in England. Deadline Washington Lenovo Group has apologized to customers as it works with users to enable laptop computer owners to remove pre-installed software that potentially exposed them to hacking attacks and unauthorized activity monitoring. The biggest maker of personal computers said it was a mistake to have the software made by a company called Superfish included on Lenovo machines. Lenovo posted links to Twitter on Twitter to its website with information about the software and removal instructions. And uh, they're sorry that they pre-installed Superfish software. It, uh, it looks at what you're doing on your computer and suggests more relevant ads to be served to you to enhance your experience. When anybody who talks, ladies and gentlemen, about enhancing your experience, tell them to experience this. Dateline Fairborn, Ohio, the president of a Southeast Ohio college and its dining services vendor have apologized for a Black History Month menu that some found offensive. The menu screens at Wright State University offered fried chicken, mashed potatoes, collard greens, and cornbread under photos of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and other black leaders. The Dayton Daily News reports people circulated images on social media calling it offensive and disrespectful. Wright State President David Hopkins sent an email Thursday asserting the university's commitment to diversity. He apologized for the display and pledged to find out more and why watermelon wasn't included. No, he didn't say that. And how to prevent something similar from happening again. The Higher Education Dining Service said it could have done a better job providing context for what was meant as a, quote, cultural dining experience. 
See previous comment regarding the word experience. A California hospital apologized this week to patients who became infected with an antibiotic-resistant bug, saying it has identified the source of the infection's two contaminated endoscopes that were cleaned, according to manufacturer instructions, but retained the bug anyway. Several people, seven people have become infected with the drug-resistant superbug known as CRA at Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center after undergoing endoscopy procedures, and CRA may have played a role in two of the, its patients' deaths. Apparently, the FDA was aware of the problem with these endoscopes, but said pe- more people benefit than are harmed. So, what the hey? Delta Airlines apologized Wednesday for CEO Richard Anderson's remarks about 9-11 on CNN. Anderson mentioned the terrorist attacks in reference to the U.S. airline industry's financial difficulties, noting the hijackers came from the Arabian Peninsula. The president of Emirates Airlines responded to his comments. But um, Delta said an apology. Richard, the president of Delta, was reacting to claims the Gulf carriers have been making that U.S. airlines receive subsidies in the form of payments from U.S. government after 9-11 and the bankruptcy proceedings that resulted. He didn't mean to suggest the Gulf carriers or their governments are linked to the 9-11 terrorists. We apologize if anyone was offended. And by the way, they were. No, they didn't say that. Cable companies uh, need a little more help with their customer service. Esperanza Martinez, a Time Warner cable customer, had her name changed to C-T in a letter she received from Time Warner Cable. This is after Comcast changed. Well, you remember that story. She hadn't canceled her subscription. She'd called customer service to investigate what was going on. Time Warner Cable did and didn't disclose any information except the name change had been authorized on February 12th, 12th, the same day she had a live chat online feature and spoke to a representative regarding an issue with her cable box. Time Warner Cable apologized to Martinez after a tech website contacted the company. The police chief of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, has apologized for the recent anti-sodomy arrest of two men and instructed officers in the department to cease enforcement of the state's anti-sodomy statute a dozen years after the U.S. Supreme Court found such laws unconstitutional. And now, the uh, Sunday yak shows have been filled with uh, almost chock-a-block with uh, discussion of whether President Obama should or shouldn't be calling IS Islamic terrorists, emphasis on the word, word Islamic. Now, uh, and, and those who say he's wrong in not calling them Islamic terrorists as opposed to violent extremist terrorists or terrorist extremists, uh, when pressed, and of course they weren't pressed very hard, this being Sunday morning TV, couldn't come up with one, with one reason why this would help really the strategy or the fight against IS, but just call the enemy what it is. It's Islamic. Well, that's silly enough, so I thought that's, that, that's had enough attention. Let's focus on something really silly, which was uh, as the deadline appeared, neared for signups to Obamacare uh, to, for insurance plans under uh, the Affordable Care Act, the deadline being a week ago today. And by the way, when the president said he was going to make health care as easy to buy as a large screen TV at Best Buy, is there a, a deadline for buying large-screen TVs at Best Buy every year? I miss that. Anyway, to uh, encourage young people to sign up to uh, health insurance, because young people are healthy, and so they think they don't need health insurance, but without young people, the uh, pool is just the sick and the old. You remember that soap opera? Anyway, the president made a video for BuzzFeed, the website, called Things People Do But Don't Talk About in which he mugged to the camera, uh, practiced saying the word February for his TV 
address about signing up for health care and shot v- uh, images of himself with his own video, uh, with his own camera, fo- uh, cell phone camera, using a selfie stick. Well, the St. Paul Pioneer Press created some waves by calling, pre- calling President Obama an ass clown. And they've now apologized for that. Uh, that was in reference to the video. It's now been edited to say a foolproof way to make yourself look like a self-absorbed celebrity, uh, uh, referring to the selfie stick moment. Here is just a little bit of the dialogue from that video. Mr. President? Can I live? You do you. YOLO, man. (laughs) All right. All right. YOLO, of course. Uh, acronym for you only live once. Now, just a warning, this isn't a pajama gram. It's an Obama jam. You know, I try to be a kind of a with it guy. A little bit deaf, a little less fly. Not so much... Bourbon is urban. Oh, sure, I've got the weight of the world in my mind. But Jay-Z and Bay are sitting right behind me. Oh, don't remind me. Got to play less golf and get back to hoops. If you didn't sign up for health care. Huh? That's the big oops. Yeah, I ended the war. But I'm sending more troops. When you're in the White House, you can't miss a trick. I'll be doing my brackets, and I know how to pick the winners. At state dinners, I'll talk about the Knicks. I'm no Kanye West, but I can wow my guests. With one turntable and a selfie stick. still open. Black unemployment's a bitch. I talk like that uh, just to make Fox News twitch. I get slammed for making a pivot to Asians and when I advocate strategic patience. The long game's too long. The short game is jive. My daughters give me eye rolls instead of high fives. But kids don't read papers with news they can't cope. So when I start getting jiggy, like Diddy or Biggie, it may not be shicky, but it sure is dope. I'm more Harvard Law than I am Freeway Rick. But I can still rock some moves that are pretty sick. With a viral echo, I'm the healthcare gecko. To peddle insurance, I'd even play my own twin. Chris Paul Slick with one turntable and a selfie stick. You know, in meetings of the white crib, I can wax professorial. 
for the folks who write op-eds and editorials. But to reach young prospects, I gotta get Sonic. Like I've been rocking a tub full of chronic or a handful of blunts. Although it's been a few hundred months, I'm more likely to be rocking a gin and tonic. So that's why I've got staffers, writers and laughers, consultants and gaffers. Because I'm less Wu-Tang than Wang Chung. To peddle my policies, I gotta skew young. We can't wait. The waiting's getting old. So I gotta resell what I've already sold. Unarmed kids still being gunned down. But I got numbers to close, so I'll pose like a clown. In the street, there's no must-read. Big ups to BuzzFeed for letting me lay it on extra thick. With one turntable and a selfie stick.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it. HarryShearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast. They're big now. This podcast thing is happening. I found out by being on Mark Maron's podcast this week. Thank you to Mark. Uh, Available as a free podcast at www.no.org, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, and iTunes, of course. And it'd be just like Getting rid of that SIM card. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead. Thanks to Jenny Lawson for the purse and for her help with today's broadcast here at WWNO. The email address for this broadcast or podcast, playlist of the music heard here on, and Cars I Talk t-shirts, all available at harryshearer.com. me? Yeah, I still hang around Twitter. At the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO, New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.